Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. I have been so excited to tell you that my course is finally ready. I will be launching soon, and I cannot wait for you guys to see this. The topic is coping for kids, how to help your child manage difficult emotions without the meltdown. I know that so many of you are going to love and benefit from this. So if you want to get on my waiting list to find out more information as soon as it's available, go to the link in the show notes and put your name and email in and then you can be the first to know. Okay, so you know I love KiwiCo. You know that I love spending one-on-one time with my kids. Every month, I am just in awe about how affordable it is, how well it's put together, and how much my kids love it and are engaged by it. Everything is portioned out. There's the amount of supplies that you need so you don't have 7,000 googly eyes You don't have to go to Michael's 16 times. And I I really think I did the math on this latest box. And to get the supplies for one of the activities, I would have had to spend more than I spent on my whole month for the box. So if you had any hesitation, this is your permission. Order it now. Your kids will thank you. Your relationship with your kids will thank you. Go to the show notes and click on the link and then enter your email to get 30% off your first box. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. I am so excited for this week's episode because I will be sharing with you um, the audio from a masterclass that Paige from Parenting with Paige and I did back in June. And this masterclass was, I, I feel like Paige and I do masterclass together frequently. And this was our best masterclass yet. We talked about connection and grace in parenting. And we talked about why connection is important in parenting and how to improve your connection with your kids. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and have a great week. Hey, so hi, and happy Friday. This is the Free Parenting Workshop with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams, wherever she's at in this Zoom, (laughs) Um, on July 9th. So this parenting workshop is on connection and grace in parenting. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, then I'll let Lindsay do an introduction and we'll just dive right in. So my name is Paige. I'm a parent educator and a child and adolescent therapist. I do work with adults, but I much prefer the kiddos because I'm a kid at heart. Um, Currently, I serve a private agency in Arizona, and I specialize in trauma-informed care and anxiety and depression. So it's a little bit about me, and I started working with kids very, very young, and I have continued to work with kids my entire life and just changed the capacity that I work with them. And in working with kids, a very important part of that is working with families and creating that team and community environment. So that is where I picked up the parenting piece, 
where so much was trying to be communicated and we were just crossing wires from parent to kid and kid to parent. And so I like to help parents um, work out some of those um, tweaks also and overcome those barriers as they work with kids. So that's a little bit about me. Lindsay, I'll let you take over. My name is Lindsay, like she said, and I am a therapist who works mostly with children and mothers as kind of what I've ended up working with. So children and mothers, and I'm also a mindful motherhood educator. I have a podcast called Mindful as a Mother, and I have a private practice in Utah where I see individual therapy clients. Um, My background is I've worked in all sorts of areas and settings, but my background is um, mostly in foster care and in other like trauma informed um, settings. I got into this because I saw there was a huge gap in mental health and emotional well-being care and coaching and support for mothers, especially mothers who are trying to parent um, consciously or use gentle parenting or respectful parenting or whatever, positive parenting, whatever word we want to use for that. So I'm really happy to be here today and it's going to be such a great, great uh, topic. Yeah, I love that you mentioned there's such a gap in the mental health care of parents in specifically mothers, because that's kind of where you're, you work with. And, and honestly, I think I'm more drawn with mothers also. That's most of my clientele is mothers and the occasional father um, <clears throat> or the couples together. Right. I think a big thing that we encounter when we work within this, within this um, I don't know the word grouping, within this grouping of, of people, is this belief that we're not enough, that we're not good enough, and we hold ourselves to these incredibly high standards. Um, So I think that that is kind of what we do fills a need in that sense, where we help normalize the parenting experience because parenting is hard. I also think there's this huge gap between, so like where we're at, we're very immersed in like the therapy world and like positive parenting and then like real life, what parenting actually looks like in your home when you have, especially if you have multiple children, but even if you have one. And so what I love doing is kind of like finding a way to like meet in the middle there. We're like, we still live in the real world, but we are raising our kids, you know, in a, in a positive, conscious, healthy way. Exactly. Yeah. And then the reality that everyone and every child is so individual and every parenting strategy, right? It's so like, I'd love to give you a general answer. And this is what is generally suggested for what you're asking, but also tell me about you. Like, let's be best friends so I can understand and give you, give you more (laughs) unique information for what you're experiencing. Um, So connection is is a big topic. That's something that I'm going to let Lindsay cover specifically. And I'm going to talk about the grace in the connection and grace in parenting. So um, first, I would love to know, um, if you catch the replay, feel free to shoot us an email. But I'd love to know how we connected um, and what drew you to this, this workshop in particular. So shoot me an email. If you're here and you're able to, you can write it in the chat box. Um, just how did we connect? I'm going to drink my coffee while I wait. I have Diet Coke today and I wanted to like go to, do you have a swig in Idaho? No. Oh, I wanted to to go to like swig and get a big one, but I didn't have time. It's the afternoon. (laughs) 
So I actually branched out into the community I live in, and that is the first time that I've introduced myself to the community. Um, mm -hmm. I think mostly because I was scared that I wouldn't find a place here. So a lot of the people that signed up, I know, have reached out from the community. And so I'm really grateful for that and to be able to start and build those connections. So if that's you, definitely shoot me an email. Let me know that's you because I would love to um, hang out. I connected through a Facebook group and was so excited to hear we had a resource like this. Yay. I love it. I get such mixed um, opinions about what's needed in the Valley. Some people are like, oh, it's so quiet. I mean, you really won't have any work. There's not enough hours. And then other people are like, please, can you, can you do this every day? I'm like, I wish, honestly. <laughs> okay. So my oldest is six um, and she's starting to ride a bike. And so every day after school, she'd ride the bus home to the bus stop and I would walk our bike because we only live like a block down small town life now, now moving from Phoenix. So now small town life, I would never let her ride a public bus in Phoenix. <laughs> but uh, so I walk my bike down to the bus stop and she would do her very best. You know, I had to like hold the end and get her going. And it got me thinking kind of about parenting obviously. And I also took up mountain biking. A big, a big reason why we wanted to move to a place that had a lot of outdoor opportunities was for potential adventures. I'm trying to be adventurous. I'm trying. I'll let you know how it goes next time. <laughs> um, so anyway, she was riding, 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 and she doesn't know how to stop. She doesn't know how to turn. So she makes it like three or four pedals, falls to the ground, scrapes her elbow. And my the first thing I said was, I can't believe you don't know how to ride yet. We've been doing this for two weeks. That wasn't really my answer. But it got me thinking about parenting because how often are we trying to learn new skills like kids riding a bike? And when we fall off, we shame ourselves. I can't believe you did that. We've been trying this for two weeks. God, get it together. It makes me think of our toddlers when they start to learn how to walk, they pull themselves up and they're cruising and they take one or two steps and then they fall. Wow, Tommy, you're stupid. You can't do it yet? Seriously? I just watched you. It's not that hard. Get it together. Why can't you do this? Like, can you imagine yourself yelling at a two-year-old or like a one-year-old be like, wow, no balance. I am not your mother. Like, no, no, it sounds absurd. And so when I think about us as parents, and when we're going to talk a little bit about attachment science and the neuroscience behind it, we're learning a new skill. And while it is the scariest, most vulnerable skill that we will learn, it's a new skill and it is a skill. No one is born inherently a perfect parent. Like there is no such thing. So while we're trying to ride this bike, we're going to fall down. We might need training wheels or extra support. Um, but what we don't need is to continually shame ourselves. Like Paige, why don't you have it together yet? Like, don't you know, just exhale, deep breaths. That's all it takes. <laughs> well, it's actually a little bit more than that. So let's get into the neuroscience a little bit behind it, behind it um, and attachment. So there's a phrase that I love and it comes from psychologist, specifically Dan Siegel. I'm reading a book of his now, and I'll talk more about that at the end also, because I'll be hosting a virtual interactive book club for that. Um, but there's a lot of terms. 
he specializes in attachment science and talks. He's, um, let's see, gosh, the whole brain child. Is that one of them? Yeah. Um, he has a whole list. Right now, The Power of Showing Up is his newest one that just came out. Um, very much so conscious, mindful, like understanding parenting, but also giving yourself grace. And so he continues to talk about how neural connections are made in our brain. And it's a long one. So it says, where attention flows, neural firing goes and connection grows. Or if we're gonna be real short, neurons that fire together, wire together. And that's my favorite phrase. So as we grow, we have people in our life, significant caregivers, if that's not your mom and dad or um, you know, partners, you have important caregivers in your life. And as you start young, you're exposed to a variety of experiences. How they respond to you emotionally um, and physically sets the foundation for how you will respond later. And that's because neurons that fire together wire together. So often we find that, oh my God, I sound just like my mom. Or, wow, my dad literally came out of my mouth just now. Or that's your instinct to go to. Why? You've had decades and decades of those neurons firing together. So that is the known pathway that your brain is going to take. So when we're defaulting back to parenting patterns that we're trying to break out of, it's because that is our brain's default. Change is hard. So I have a little bit of a poll here. I'm going to launch and I'll give everyone a second. Um, again, if you're getting the replay, just, just keep an ongoing email. Text me, call me, Facebook me, whatever. That sounds a little creepy. I'm going to say it anyways. The poll is going to talk about parenting. So do you currently parent differently than you were raised? And do you find it difficult to parent differently than you were raised? And if you get the replay of this, just take a minute to think about that. Do you parent differently than you were raised? Some of us don't, and that's okay. But a lot of us right now, I think, do because of the movement we're in as far as mental health and parenting and the research that has come out. And I like to do these polls to create that understanding and, and uh, that this parenting experience is universal. It's hard because we're breaking generational cycles, you know. I don't know if anyone else hears that a lot, but it's like breaking generational cycles, um, healing trauma. But um, I want everyone here and everyone that gets the replay, share my results, um, to understand that this is hard. It is difficult to learn a new skill and you're not alone in what you're doing. Okay. Let me pull up. The next thing I wanna talk about is, so with neurons that fire together, wire together, um, we parent tend to parent instinctively how we were raised because we have the decades of those patterns in our brains, right? Those neural pathways have been created and they can be very difficult to break. And this all ties back into giving ourselves grace in parenting. So I'm going to share my screen and do just a short um, little video 
and I'll cut it off probably early, but I want you to pay attention to this gentleman who is learning to ride a bike and then I'll tie it in after the video. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Sandlin. First attempt riding the bicycle. All right. So, the faster I go, the better. Yeah, yeah. I sure. couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it, but that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic precession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm, and if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're gonna try some trick or they're just gonna power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. <laughs> All right, so, uh, whatever you're in, yeah. Quickly! No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Dude, All right, here we go. Just keep it like, you gotta start rolling at least. And go! Oh, God! Keep your feet on the pedal. Go. Go right off. Keep your feet on the pedal. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. <laughs> so here's what I did. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. 
It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. My son is the closest person to me genetically, and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. That's over half his life. I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you gonna give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up, you got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he, in, how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. It's clear from this experiment that children have a much more plastic brain than adults. That's why the best time to learn a language is when you're a young child. All right, today's bike log. I can ride smooth, I can ride fast. I'm thinking the experiment is over. Okay, now I'm in Amsterdam, a city that has more bicycles than people. The question is, can I ride a normal bike now? I mean, I've spent all this time unlearning how to ride a bike. If I go back and try to ride a normal one, will my brain mess up? So I've tweeted a Smarter Everyday Meetup, if you will, and I'm gonna see if somebody brings a bicycle and I'm gonna try to ride a normal bike. This was one of the most frustrating moments of my life. I had ridden a normal bike since I was six, but in this moment, I couldn't do it anymore. I had set out to prove that I could free my brain from a cognitive bias. But at this point, I'm pretty sure that all I proved is that I could only redesignate that bias. So what you're not seeing is just a group of people here looking at me, looking at the strange American that can't ride a bike because they think I'm dumb. But I'm actually two levels deep into this because I've learned and unlearned. All right. After 20 minutes of making a fool out of myself, suddenly my brain clicked back into the old algorithm. I can't explain it, but it happened in a very specific moment. <laughs> you got it, you got it, you got it. I'm back. Oh, it clicked, it clicked. hold on, it clicked. I got it, I got it. Okay, there it is. There was the moment. Okay, I can... Okay, so that's where I'm gonna end that. So, Neuroplasticity is the flexibility of the brain. It's also what we call the brain's ability to create those new neural pathways or learn new skills. So I use this video as a very real object lesson that we've had. So I'm sure he's in his 30s now. He started at six up until his 30s, decades of neuro, neuro, neural firing in one direction, just like we do. Um, we're raised up until we have our own kids um, with the same kind of attachment pattern, attachment relationships, emotional mindset, understanding for decades. And then when we consciously choose to learn a new skill and parent our children differently, we're learning to ride the bike backwards. So it is impossible for us to learn to ride the bike backwards without falling off. And that's why grace in parenting is so important and to understand that it's a skill that we're continually working on, not that you're to blame or there's anything associated with that. I just want to add something too. 
so I think also when he talked about he's just learning to ride this bike and any distraction like threw him off that's where we're when we're in times of stress or overwhelm or anything like outside of smooth sailing you're doing really good with your parenting you're not yelling you're um validate feelings and then you know there's that one day where like it's just too much that's what's happening right there there's that like the distraction your brain just goes back to the original pathway the other thing was is when he was relearning to ride the bike it it took him a shorter amount of time and that's when we put ourselves i think in environments or situations where that are are similar to how we grew up or were around our family or there's these old patterns and situations that can come up really quickly and so just being aware of that is good to know so that you know if you're going to be around those people or in those situations you can be aware of and and watch your parenting and watch the changes but also know that stressors of any kind are going to make it more difficult and that's normal and that's okay and it will get easier with time where your phone can ring or you know your kids can have a crazy day and you won't default right and when you default it doesn't mean you're not actively making those new pathway patterns you're not it doesn't mean you're not still developing the new skill right we're going to come back and we're going to keep trying Um, I love the idea of setting ourselves and our children up for success, which I think is going to be um, a big topic in our tips on how to how to be a patient present parent that will present at a later date. But learning to set yourself up for success involves that level of awareness where you know those little things and those stressors are going to get you just like they would your kids. So kind of manipulating the environment for yourself and your kids to set you guys both up for success. So with that, I want to give you... um, two tools for success. And then I'll hand things over to Lindsay to talk about connection. And so neurons that fire together, wire together. I'm, I am a big proponent of affirmations because as we're trying to learn new skills, we're trying to continually change our thought patterns. Affirmations play a big role in that. Um, my affirmation for today is exhale. It's not that serious. <laughs> so, um, What it does is it helps you maintain your focus. You're setting a goal when you set an intention or you set an affirmation. So for example, the one I use a lot is I am a patient present parent. That is my goal and that is my intention. That is the pathway I'm trying to make. Okay, so I want you to do that for yourself. The next tip that I want to talk about, oh, sorry, I got a random call, is the um, concept of tiny habits. And then I'll talk about briefly, and then I have more information on later. If you guys would like some of that, you can feel free to reach out to me. But tiny habits are these micro adjustments we make on a regular basis to help us get towards our bigger goal. So I want to be a patient present parent. I am a patient present parent. What is one very small thing that I can actively do today that will help me reach that goal? What is my tiny habit? So with that, tiny habit. Um, I've done this for myself a few times because sometimes I need to pause when I already know I'm stressed. I need to pause and breathe before I respond to my kids. But a big one that I apply today is my no phone zone. So my tiny habit is from when I get off work around 530 to the kids go to bed at like 730. I try to do no phone zone. So that way I can respond to them and be present um, and know that for that moment and for this day, it's a success for me. I was a patient present parent because I used my no phone zone. 
Um, so those are my two tips for you. Set an affirmation or a goal or an intention. Those are all the same things. Affirmation, goal, intention, and then pick one tiny habit that you can start doing today that will help you reach that goal. And with that, I'm going to turn things over to Lindsay. Okay, let's talk about connection. Connection is the foundation of your relationship with your child. And in psychology and the parenting world, we hear about the two A's, Paige mentioned the first one earlier, attachment. The other one is attunement. And that's what we're gonna talk today. Attunement explained simply is being in tune with your child. I've heard it described as mutual mindfulness with your child. And it's where you connect emotionally and are able to respond to them. Um, Dan Siegel, the same author she talked about earlier, calls it like sharing the same frequency. And what actually happens talking about like um, neuroscience is our brains or our child's brains mirror our brains when we are attuned to them. And so it's really cool that we, we share this connection. And this is why as mothers, typically you can tell when your child's upset, you can tell what kind of cry that is and what they need. You can say, oh, you're tired. I know that, that that's the issue going on here. Um, children need attunement to feel secure and develop well. And an important part of attunement is being mindful of your child's temperament. That's something that you cannot change as a parent. So maybe you have a more sensitive kid or a more strong-willed kid being aware that those are things you cannot change about your child and you need to adjust your parenting style to meet them where they are at. So now that I've told you what attunement is, let's talk about the real world. So in the real world, there's a lot of things that get in the way of attunement. Um, our own life stressors, stuff that's happened in our own childhood, trauma, financial stress, having other kids, um, transitions or moves, anything that comes up can get in the way of being attuned to your child. So in the chat box, I want you to let me know if you have ever felt like you were going to damage your kid through one interaction with them. Maybe you lost your temper and yelled, or you weren't able to be there when they needed you because of work or other things. And, and if you had the thought like, oh, I'm going to mess them up or they're going to need therapy for this one moment. Street my diet coke all night. Yes, I have a really hard time. Um, so the comment says, yes, I definitely feel bad when my kids are asking me not to go to work and I feel the same way or they cry because I'm going to work or they see that I'm getting dressed. And the really cool thing about attunement is that we get a lot of grace with that. Like going back to what um, Paige was talking about earlier, we really only need to be attuned to our kids 30% of the time. So if you just like, or like, oh, when you heard 30%, that's how I feel too. It's important, but we really only need to do that 30% of the time. And when we aren't able to be there, when we do respond poorly, um, the repair is also very important and can be really great in building that attunement. So don't feel bad. It is not a one-time thing. If you mess up one time, you you failed. This is where the grace part comes in, right? Always keep trying, building, and the repair is just as important. 
So now ways to, I have twin boys. So there are a lot of moments where I'm trying to give them both attention. So I have to open that chat box in the moment when I need to get to school. While you're reading that, I would just like to say, I so funny to me that you just putting on regular clothes is your kid's sign. Like, no, she's going to leave. And like how true that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I came down this morning and my three, I also have twins, by the way, one of my girls was like, um, you why do you get dressed? Are you going to work? Don't go to work, mom. And I was like, they know like any other outing, there is not real clothes going on here. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think the twin thing is real attunement is really hard. And there's a lot of guilt with twins because, or having multiple children in general, but there's only so much of you and you can't, if they both need something at the same time, you have to respond as a parent to the bigger issue, <clears throat> excuse me. And so there can be a lot of guilt in that. So when I get to that point, I always remind myself like, oh, okay. 30% of the time, like I just need to, like, I can handle this and then I can repair over here. And the repair is just as beneficial as the initial attunement. So I'm going to give you some tangible tips for how you can improve attunement with your child. The, and tell some stories. Anyway, the first thing is, is set mindful one-on-one -on -one time. And this is my my tiny habit is I know that if I am getting my one-on-one -on -one time in with my kids every day, then I am like doing well and working towards being the mom that I want to be. The recommendation is typically 15 minutes, but if that sounds like a lot, or if you have multiple kids, you can start with 10. This time can be, should be mostly child-led, but real life happens. So there will be times where it's reading a book, watching a show, doing those things. Sometimes your child may want to do those things. But if we let the child lead in those situations, we're building that attunement muscle because what we're doing is we are practicing responding to them and being right there with them in a warm, loving way with whatever they want to do. So if they want to play Legos, we play Legos. If they want to color, we color, even if it's not our favorite thing. Like floor play is like not my strong suit as a mom, which is funny because I'm a therapist. So, and, and I think that's why, right? Like I do it all day. So like the last thing I want to do after doing it all day is sit at home and do it with my own kids. But this helps me feel less guilt about that because I give them that 15 minutes. And if that's what they want to do, if they want to play Barbies, I'm playing Barbies, even though I hate Barbies, Ugh. but it's fun. And they, and, and I give myself grace with this too. It doesn't need to be every single day that it's child led. Um, if I'm struggling with that black and white thinking of all or nothing, what I tell myself is more days than most. I'm going to show up and have it be child-led more days than most. So on the days that I'm exhausted, um, our family's been sick, so we're sick. And maybe the one-on-one -on -one time is snuggling and watching a movie. I don't feel guilt about that because I know like, okay, more days than most, this is what I do. And it gives me that grace in those other times. So during this 15 minutes, give 100% of your attention to the child, let them lead and respond to their needs in the moment. This will build that attunement muscle and help build that foundation. It will also give you such a feeling of like confidence and peacefulness about your parenting because you were able to do that. If you have children who struggle with like separating after the one-on-one -on -one time or there's, there's the kid, I think everyone has one kid that, that needs someone to play with them all the time. And 
um, if this if this is your child or you have one of these, the timer is a great thing in this situation. So my kids know we set the Alexa and it's that that person's time for that amount of time. And then when the Alexa changes, it is the other person's turn. And they they've gotten really good after a few times at knowing that that's what's happening and they don't fight the um, the, the transition. Also, I think just knowing that they are going to get that one on one time helps them feel so much more relaxed and calm and secure, and they don't reach for attention or engage in as many. All kids are going to have some attention-seeking behaviors because kids want connection all the time, right? But um, there isn't as many, and they're easier to manage, and you feel better about them and less guilt about the times that you can't show up because you're, you're saying, okay, remember, mommy will do your time with you tonight or whatever that is. And I've heard of um, times where spouses or couples, they each do the 15 minutes. Um, that doesn't always work with like schedules and working that doesn't necessarily work in our family. So like dad's one-on-one -on -one time looks very different than mine. His is more like big, bigger outings on the weekends. Like he'll take our son fishing or he'll take just one of my twins with him to the store or something like that. And that's totally okay too. I think they need both those things, those, those kind of bigger one-on-one -on -one chunks of one-on-one -on -one time, but also that daily connection. The second tip I have is repair after rupture. So say you lose it, you yell at your kids, you, um, Yelling's like the main one that I think people feel guilty about. You get impatient, you say, stop crying, you, or whatever. Um, the, the first step is to apologize. Apologizing to our kids models a few things. First thing it does is it models that they don't have to be perfect. Because if we can apologize and say, I'm a human, I'm sorry, I messed up, it shows them that they can apologize and they don't have to do things perfectly all the time. I would also let them express how they feel to you and validate their feelings. So if they say, it scared me when you yelled, mom, as a mom, that is the absolute worst thing a kid can say to you and you just want to cry. And in that moment, I think our first reaction is to be like, I would never hurt you. And just re remind them that way instead of saying something like, I am so sorry that I scared you and I can totally see how that would have scared you. And this helps the child feel heard and understood rather than kind of not that, I mean, you, saying I would never hurt you feels reassuring to you, but it may feel dismissive to the child. I also like to have a connection piece in the repair after rupture. This can be like tickling, laughing, hugging, playing a game, something. If your kids aren't big on physical touch, then it may not be the hug piece. In my family, we're like big touchers. So like, there's always like snuggling involved in apologizing. And that helps you and your child feel connected after that rupture. And in those snuggling times, your that that's where your brain matches their brain and they calm down, everyone calms down, and then we can move forward. The third tip is connect before you redirect. So if your child is struggling with something and or they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, instead of saying stop doing that or go to timeout or whatever we say to kids validate their feelings so I know you're really mad that your brother took your toy and I totally understand that I get mad when people take things from me and it's not okay to hit right like and we don't get to hit people so I would I would validate where they were coming from why they're reacting that way instead of just saying stop throwing a fit right like I get that you really want dessert right now 
but it's 9 a.m. and we need to eat breakfast first or whatever the boundary is in your home. Also include physical touch in this if they like it and if it's something that works for them. Physical touch is very powerful if your child responds well to it. I have one child that like almost needs it to calm down. You can't just talk to him. You have to like hug him. Um, so if your child is this child, this is the perfect time to do that. And then after the calm has happened, this is when you want to solution, problem solve, consequence or whatever needs to happen there. So if they were hitting, maybe it's, okay, so what do we need to do to make this right with your brother? Apologize and then, you know, carry on. Or maybe it's, okay, well, I know that you really want ice cream and now they've come down, can't have ice cream right now, but you can have some this afternoon, after nap time, after dinner. Making sure they are calm first and you attuning to them and, and co-regulating with them in that moment will really help them calm down faster and it will help you feel less frustrated because when you are trying to communicate to someone who's, whose brain chemistry is off and they're just throwing a fit, they're not hearing you and it's just going to escalate things, but it helps that it helps them calm down. They feel heard, they feel validated and you can still hold the boundaries at the end. You can go back and say, okay, we don't get to do this. A lot of people misconceive gentle, conscious, respectful parenting as being permissive. And that's not actually the case. Like it's more just about like, we, we treat our kids as humans, right? They are not little robots that need to do what we say, right? When we say it, we attend to their feelings, just like we would a friend. Like if a friend came to me and was crying, I'm not going to be like, well, you shouldn't have done that. I'm going to say, I am so sorry that you are so sad. And then when they come down, I'll be like, maybe next time you could try this or whatever it is. So those are my three tips. And I think that's all. I'm going to let Paige. She's I love it. Those are all great. And I definitely took down some notes. My two, almost three-year-olds, so my youngest, um, was fighting bedtime really hard for weeks. Lindsay knows because I would text her about it all the time. Like, well, I'm up at 11 p.m. again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so what she would do is she's always gone to bed on her own. She's never been one to want to co-sleep or snuggle or anything like that. But for like 20, 30 minutes, she would just scream in her room or talk or kick the wall. And so this week I started, um, going to her room with her individually and letting her pick one or two books that we read together on her bed. And then at the end of it, she just says, there was one night where she was still pretty mad, but she was overtired. And I knew that, um, but it's been a total game changer for her just to take that time to connect and pick the book she wants. And then she'll just lay down and say, good night, mom. And I think a lot of parenting is detective work because our kids don't know how to express their emotions like adults do. And they're not able to say like, mom, I'm missing you at night or I'm, I feel like I don't get enough time with you or whatever that is. You have to be a detective and kind of figure out what they're asking for, what kind of connection they're needing and their behaviors are the indicator that points you to that. And so it's really about taking the time to explore what your child needs and what they're asking for. Yeah, I really, I really like it. And it makes me think of mindset, being able to connect, right? Because our kid mirrors us. So the first thing I thought about is when you're able to help them regulate, you co-regulate. Kids under five and sometimes six cannot self-regulate. It's a myth. Mm -hmm. They don't self-regulate. They need the important people in their lives to help them. 
So when you co-regulate, you are helping them understand their internal experience, which means that the work you're putting in now is helping them create different neural pathways than you have. So they're already going to be having this experience of, of the mindful, um, connective type attachment because that's the, that's the neurons you're firing and wiring with them now. Right. And that's and two things with that. The first is if we do that now, then they don't have to be 30 year olds. Like if, I don't know how old you're a page, but I don't know my 30, 30 <laughs> like trying to figure out like how to be a good parent and how to change, how to be a cycle breaker, I guess, how to break generational cycles. The second thing is that I totally spaced the second thing. But there is a second thing. So stay tuned. <laughs> Um, but with that, I, go ahead. It's that co-regulation is the first step in self-regulation. So it, we, we talk a lot, a lot about like wanting our kids to learn to regulate their own emotions. And we can't do that without doing the co-regulation first. And a lot of parents miss that really important step. And that's what makes self-regulation take longer because they need that piece. They need it modeled. They need to do it with you over and over and over again before they can do it themselves. Yes, and cognitively, their brains aren't even developed enough to do it until a certain age. And then at that age, it's a muscle. That's what I tell people. Emotional intelligence is a muscle and it builds. So you have to work it out. You have to start with the foundational pieces or we miss stuff and we have to go back. It's like you may be 12, but emotionally, maybe we're at like a six, right? Um, so with that, I wanna thank you guys for being here. I'm going to stop the recording before we do the Q&A. Um, for you, those of you getting the replay, if you have any questions, feel free to email. Oh, wait, are um, you going to tell them where to find you and what you offer? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram at Parenting with Paige. Um, I also have a Facebook page, Parenting with Paige or ParentingWithPage.com. So I offer one-on-one -on -one parent coaching services, in-person social emotional skills groups for ages four to six right now and in progress for seven to nine. Stay tuned. Um, and lastly, at the end of the month, so the beginning of August, I will be hosting a virtual interactive um, book club and the spots are going to be limited, but we will be reading together the power of showing up, which is basically my new Bible in connection and grace and parenting by Dr. Dan Siegel and Tina something who I obviously don't know as much about, um, but talks all about the attachment science in a very easy readable way um, and how to give ourselves grace while also giving us tools on how to um, help our kids. So that's where you can find me. Um, and Lindsay. Okay. You can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. I think, yeah, that's what it is. I always get confused where the underscore is, but I'm there. And then lynnsadamslcsw.com. If you like want more resources, I have a free download about emotional expression right now called It's Okay to Cry. I have my podcast, which you can find on any podcast platform. It's called Mindful as a Mother. And I am launching a course in September about, it's called Coping for Kids, and it's how to help your child regulate so you can avoid the meltdowns. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording and do any Q&A, but thank you guys for being here. Um, we appreciate you endlessly. And we can't wait to hear the feedback on how you've been able to use this or maybe insights you've gained. Thank you.
if you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Lynn's L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams LCSW. Thank you.